Well, the text this morning you've heard read, I don't think it gets any better than that. You ought to memorize it if you haven't. And if you have, you ought to keep going over it and over it and over it as an exile. And this whole series on being an exile has been intriguing to me. I've thought about exile for quite a while, actually. And our culture does a little bit of work with exile on occasion, like a movie that was, I don't know how many years ago. There was a guy named Tom Hanks, pretty famous movie star, who was in this movie called Castaway. You remember that? We'll see who the real Christians are. And in that movie, you know, so he's on an airplane, he crashes on a deserted island, he's the only person there except he makes friends with, with a volleyball whose name was Wilson, yeah, and you're like, okay, some, but you get that idea of being in exile and how kind of intimidating and challenging that can be, and then in a more current setting of a movie, Louis Zamperini in that movie and book, Unbroken. I haven't seen the movie, and I watched part of the book, and it was hard for me to read the whole book. He was an Olympic runner in the 30s who joined the Army, Army Air Force, and during World War II, his plane was shot down, and he was on a raft for 47 days in the ocean. I'm here to tell you, after 47 hours, I would be about ready to check out. Somehow, he survives 47 days, and then he goes to a prisoner of war camp, And the torture, as I would read through it, I didn't really even finish reading it because it was almost like I just churned up. Uh, He was in exile, and then he was freed. When the Allies won, he came back to a hero's welcome, but he was still imprisoned in his mind of of all the memories that he had as he struggled. And then, and the the story ends kind of cool because his wife takes him to a Billy Graham crusade of all places. And God delivers him in a really cool way, and he testifies to the glory of God, died not too long ago in his 90s. The the whole idea of exile is intriguing and scary. If you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is replete with exile stories. It starts off in the third chapter, Adam and Eve, in the best place you can possibly be, Eden, and they get exiled. They're kicked out. Then you read a little further, and you get Joseph, and finally his brothers are exiled in Egypt for 400 years, and they they finally get out. And then you read, continue on reading the Old Testament, and you'll find that the northern kingdom of Israel is exiled by the Assyrians, who actually take them out, so some would call it the, the lost tribes of Israel. They're lost. They're in exile. Where are they? And then the southern kingdom was taken, taken captive by Babylon, and Daniel We studied him earlier this summer. They're in captivity, in exile, and a few of them come back, but there's never really the restoration of Israel, and Jesus comes to an Israel in exile. They were ruled by Rome, and Jesus offers a kingdom, and it wasn't what they wanted. And then Peter, I mean, what an interesting New Testament character Peter is. I mean, we should have done a biography of him before we did this letter. I mean, the guy that you kind of love and then you're not sure about him and you don't know what to do with him, and this is sort of mature Peter. He's writing to a group of exiles, and here's my question for exiles and for you and for me today, and that is, how in the world are you going to survive in a world that's not your home? How do you survive in exile? And the text gives us the answer in one word, And the word is hope. If you don't have hope, you're not going to survive. And if your hope is pretty flimsy, you see, the biblical nuance of hope is never, I just wish that I would win the lottery. I hope. Uh, It's never that. It's always, it's always a confident expectation. And the reason it's a confident expectation is because of the object of our hope. (laughs) 
It's because of who it is that we hope in and what our hope is. My hope is built on nothing less than my car, my house, my health, or Jesus' blood and righteousness. So this morning we're going to talk about hope, and I've kind of ordered the sermon, and I, I, I worked really hard at this text, so I think I have it divided into three sections. It's amazing how most sermons turn out that way, but I really think it fits the text. And I'm going to answer three questions, or I'm going to let Peter answer three questions that can help you and me to have hope in our exilic living in the world. The first question is this. Here's question number one. You want to have hope in this world? You better answer the question, who in the world is in charge so here we are. We're in exile. Things seem to be out of control at times in our own lives. And if it's not out of control in our own lives, it seems to be out of control in everybody else's life. And sometimes it's both. And the question is, who in the world is in charge? Is anybody in charge? Who's God? Who, who, where, where's all this going? And Peter begins, and he answers that question at the very start of this text. And here's what he says. Listen, church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know who's in charge? When you're in exile, it's going to be really easy to kind of debate even in your own heart. Who do I want to be in charge? Maybe, maybe I'd like me to be in charge. Let me call the shots. Or, or maybe I would like for my kids to be in charge. Or maybe I would like for my government to be in charge. Or maybe I would, and you can go on with all the other false gods that we tend to exalt, and here's what Peter says, if you want to survive in exile, your hope had better be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you wake up in the morning in exile, and you say, all right, this is going to be a tough day, this is exile, it's going to be tough. Well, start off with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just kind of work that in, massage it just a little bit. The Jews in the intertestamental between the Old and the New Testament that Jesus came to and Peter would be very familiar with, they frequently worshipped in synagogues. And in their synagogue worship, they had a ritual that they went through that was, were called the 18, and we've translated it, benedictions. Eight, and you can, you, I googled it, you can look it up, so if you google it, it's got to be true. And, and the first three of those 18 benedictions are, blessed be God, blessed be God, blessed be God. Or for a Hebrew, it would be, hear, O Israel, remember the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, He is one, we start off our sense of the world and all that is in the world with an affirmation, and it's the affirmation the church has always, always made, blessed be God, not me, blessed be God, not the stuff of the world, blessed be God. <laughs> so I opened up my systematic theologies. I have too many. Actually, you can't have too many of them. I've got a lot of them. And I, so I said, let me, I want here, let, me, let me think a little bit about God. So I came up with the I words about God. You know, the I words. Immortal. Yeah. Invisible. All of these, I know you're saying, boy, we ought to spend an hour on each one of those. Immortal. Invisible. Infinite. Independent. Immutable. All multisyllabic. All like these big words that are intended to say, God is what I'm not. He's God. And, and then the O words. I remember when I was a kid, which by the way, and this is Sunday school hour, some of your kids are learning about God. They're little exiles. And the little exiles need to learn about God like the big exiles need to. And what they need to learn is blessed be God. And I remember learning, and I thought, I'm 
pretty cool. I've, I've learned this, that God is omniscient. Remember when you learned he was omniscient? Like that big omniscient, is that three or four syllable word? God knows everything. And, and you remember the other O words? He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. And I'm like, ah, I can't get my head around that. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's, he's the one that is omnipotent. There's nothing that he can't do. And, and so these omni, these O words are boggling my mind. And then I hear he's holy and he's just and he's eternal and he's wise. And the church ought to be spending our time looking in the face of God and asking this question as an exile. Who in the word are you, God? Then we ought to let the scripture inform us. And if you want to have hope in a world of exile, hope doesn't start with you. It starts with him. It doesn't start with me. It starts with God. Blessed be God. And then I read real quickly over the next part of the text. It says, God, see what it says? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It doesn't say, blessed be God and your father. Whose father is he? He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a statement of identity. This God who is omnipotent in all those O words and all those I words is also a father. Now, in exile, I don't know about you, but when I look at what the face of God, I sometimes see him as this almost distant like the force be with you. And the Bible never portrays God as only the omnipotent one. It also portrays God as a father before you even existed. Before he ever created, he was the father of the son. That's the inference in this text. And, and, and father's a little bit different than I've got kids and I'm a father of them. There was a time they didn't exist and then I fathered them. It doesn't mean that the son and the father have existed in different times. The nuance, at least there's a couple, they share in the same identity. The father and the son are the same. They're both God. But there's also this idea, the father loves the son. You, you think God the father loves God the son? Does, does that matter to you? Like, I don't care if God the Father loves God the Son. I just care if he loves me. When it says God so loved the world, I love that verse. Do you know where that verse is found? In the Bible. <laughs> John 3, 16. It's in the end zones, too. Of the, I don't know if they do that anymore. God loved the Son before he loved the world. And so when the God who loved his Son says, I love the world so much that I'm sending the Son that I love, my eyes start to... I have a little bit of an idea of what a father loving a son means. That God, the internal, infinite, immortal God, is also a God of, and this is a characteristic core to the reality of God, he loves. He, he loved. The father loved, the son loved, the spirit. One of the reasons I love being Trinitarian is because the Bible teaches it, and also because it gives this robust reality of who God is, more than just some dynamic force, but he's a God love. And as an exile, <laughs> I want to know who's in charge. Is it some sadistic being out there? Is it some weak pansy? Or maybe it's the God of gods who also is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in exile, you, you need to start off by asking the question, who's in charge? And the church and the people of God from the beginning of God creating his people, have said, and they've looked up in the face, and they've said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That starts every day in exile. Answer that question.
and watch out for the answers that you're going to be tempted to give. You'll, you'll never admit it, but there are days you'll be tempted to say, my health, my wealth, my fame, my fortune, those are my God versus you're my God. So that's question number one. Question number two is this. Who in the world are you? So, first question is, who's in charge in this exilic world where things seem to be crazy? Question number two, look in the mirror. You ought to do it every morning. Here's actually, I, I brought something in my exilic bag. You know, you carry this around. Because we're marching to Zion, and we're temporary residents here. We're resident aliens. Somebody wrote a book about that. And in there, you ought to have, in your little backpack, you ought to have one of these. Do you have one of these? You don't know what this is. <laughs> it's a certificate of vital record. It's an ancient document. It's a copy of an ancient document from the state of California. And it's a certificate of live birth. And the person that this is a certificate of is Joseph Robert Bartimus, whose identity is merely coincidental. <clears throat> it's actually not. It's my birth certificate. That's why. It's an ancient document. It's from <laughs> Mare Island, California, U.S. Naval Base. My dad was in the military. He'd been drafted many years ago. <laughs> and it says that this kid that was born, it doesn't say height, weight, none of that stuff. I mean, it was like, you know, going to be 6'8 and 190 pounds or something, and it didn't turn out like that. But anyway, um, but, but here's what it says. Birth mother, listen to this. Are, are you listening? Betsy... Elizabeth Ross, Betsy Ross had a child. His name was Joseph Robert Bartimus. My mom is Betsy Ross. <laughs> and you laugh at that, she honestly is. She's not the Betsy Ross, but she was Betsy Elizabeth Ross, Mary Joseph Franklin Bartimus. The two of them came together, had a baby that got born on March 23rd, and that is me. When I look at this text, watch how Peter describes this. He says in the, the second part of verse 3, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word that's used there, and it takes a lot of words in English to translate it, is the word born again. And I'm convinced of this, a better, I hate to say this, when you're, that's a good translation, nothing wrong with that translation, a better translation is begotten again. Do you know the difference between being born and begotten? You guys didn't go to the marriage retreat, so you don't know the difference between being born and begotten. Begotten happens like nine months before you're born. It's like when I realized, you know, I grew up and finally somebody told me how, and then I think, my mom and my dad, and then me? Wait a minute. You know, you know that's kind of like, it takes you a little while to get your head around that. The fact is this, I am genetically the stuff of my mom and my dad. That's on one level who I am, but on a spiritual level, you are the genetic stuff of your father, and his name is God. Now, take that to the bank and say, I want to borrow some. My dad, by the way, is God. And they're going to say, yeah, well, whatever. That you've been begotten again, and that again could be begotten from on high, that you have been that, that your spiritual genetic stuff is God, that what flows through your veins is the very reality of the life of God. And as an exile, 
you're, you know, we're walking around in some of the hardest times of life for some. And, and so I'm here to say, who's in charge? And the second thing is I look in the mirror and I say, who am I? What's going on here? The answer is this. Read the text. You have been begotten by the living almighty God. That's, that's who you are. There, there's, a, there's kind of a contemporary song that, how does it go? It's sort of like, um, I forget. I should have written it down. He's my father, if I know I'm his son. Anyway, it's a really good song that makes me want to say this, that here's what gives me hope, and that is I know who my dad is. I know who my father is, and my father is God. That's who he is spiritually. Now, the text unfolds this or opens it up in what I think is a really delightful way. There's three prepositions that modify being begotten again. So if you don't like that grammar, that's all right. Listen to them. Here's the first one. We're begotten again according to his great mercy. Exiles, you've got the life of God in you, and it's not because you are so specially, incredibly great. It's because God is so specially, incredibly merciful. And the people of God always look up in the face of God, and the more we recognize who God is, the more we would affirm it is your by the way, notice the text doesn't just say it's your mercy. The prefix to mercy is great mercy. God is a God of mercy. Therefore, he's given you and me as exiles life. When I thought of mercy, we had an interesting experience in our family this summer. My wife is adopted. <clears throat> she was adopted at birth. And um, didn't find out until she was in high school because those were the days when the adopted parents didn't, they wanted her to think, hey, we're your parents. And, and they meant really well. She found out she was adopted. Never met her, um, her birth mother, but this past summer she got a letter from Illinois and it was some agency that said there's somebody that would like to get in contact with you that I, I may have said that maybe a relative of yours. And she debated, you know, is this a scam? What's going on? Finally decided... Okay, we'll pursue it. She did. She found out that her mom, who gave birth to her and then gave her up for adoption, 17 years later had another little girl, and it's her half-sister probably, and her half-sister wanted to get in contact with her because her birth mother just died at the beginning of the summer. And it's one of those, you know, your head's just sort of spinning. All of a sudden you're just, what, in the, what is all this? And, and they've made contact, and the reason for the contact from Kathy's motivation wasn't just, I'm curious, it was more like maybe this could be a way that God could redeem a person, which would be really cool. I mean, that would be a cool story if that happened. But the overarching thing that came to her mind, and she's mentioned, to this many, mentioned this to me many, many times, is that she's thought about, what could my life have been like? She had, Bill and Sue Heatley went to a hospital in Centralia, Illinois, and took a little baby girl really soon after she was born, took her into their house, clothed her, fed her, taught her about Jesus, so she's an exile that loves Jesus. Taught her about music. And so she's taught some of you guys music probably. And, and made her his child by his mercy. And part of that mercy she saw in her adopted parents. And I look up in the face of God and I say, God, I'm your child. And it's not because I brought all this stuff to the table. It's not, it's not because of my greatness and my goodness. It's because you're merciful. It's according to his great mercy that he's begotten us again. And then he's begotten us again. Here's the second preposition. To a living hope. 
That little prefix living is a, it's a participle. It's an active participle. It's, a, it's, it's like this. It comes to life. It's not just a static thing. It isn't just I hope. It's I have daily hope as an exile. This hope has life and that life is brimming over. It, it doesn't mean that life is easy, but it means there's hope because this hope finds its origin in God himself. That's what makes it living. I tried to think of an illustration of it, and I came up with this picture. And um, it's just a random baby picture. <laughs> just, you know, happened. It, it was on my phone. <clears throat> it, uh, and, and actually, you can't see the whole thing, but it says grace. It actually says amazing grace. This is Grace Christiana. Christiana is her aunt's name. And it was named after Pilgrim's Progress, which is a good exilic book to read. You know, Pilgrim's Progress, we're going through, that's Christiana. It's Grace, what a, what a cool name. Grace Christiana, she's got my blood in her veins. She's my granddaughter. And I think, is that good or bad for her? She's going to rise above it, I'm sure. Uh, and yet there's something about, even as I get older and I watch how my life went to my daughter, who now her life, and then my life goes to this granddaughter, and I think of this sense of hope in a very human, material world, and on a much greater level, God the Father gives his life to his people so that they can have hope, and that hope is alive because God's alive, and it, it's alive much greater than what we think about in that living hope, that we have hope that never ends, and it's a confident assurance that God is who he is, therefore what he promises he's going to do. So, so, so this being begotten is because of the mercy of God. You know that great song, Amazing Mercy, how sweet the sound. <laughs> we need to get a song like that for mercy. I, Amazing Grace is a good song. And then it's also, it's a living hope, and then listen to this, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We sang, and some of you guys were singing with vigor, and I love it. I'm vigorous even if I don't look like it when I'm singing. Believe me. But it's, we were singing about the resurrection of the Lord, and I wonder why Peter didn't say that we've got, that we're born again through the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, the cross is a big deal, right? Right, thank you. First service, they didn't even say, there wasn't even one person that said right. The cross is a big deal. You know... The cross is Christ experiencing exile for us. You ought to think through the nuancing because it really is true. One of, the, one of the cries on the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm here to tell you, if you're an Old Testament saint, you say, my God, my, it's Psalm 22, you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when you're in exile? And some of you and me, and some of you much more than me, are going through some of the hardest of times, and you are in exile, in abject, this is horrible, and Christ on the cross is saying like you at times will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If the story ends there, there should be absolute silence because there is no hope. The cross is incredibly beautiful. Christ endured the horror of sin in that cross. Three days of deafening silence until up from the grave he rose. Until the day 
of the resurrection of Jesus, which was more than just, that's a cute end to the story. He doesn't say dead, he right. It's like, I, he crushed death. He did for exiles what exiles couldn't do for themselves. He gave them life. The life you have in Christ is the life of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I wish we had some kind of an icon for the resurrection, for the, you know, an empty tomb, something, because we're here this morning, and we're here as the sons and daughters of the living God. We have living hope. It's because of His mercy, and the reality of that is because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that is what the church has always said, is amen and amen. And you have hope, we have hope because we have life, and we have life because it's the risen Lord life, and that's a quality of life, the likes of which the world has no sense, and it gives you hope as an exile. So let me give you a couple of applications that go with this before we hit the last point. Stop and think about that for a minute. If God is your Father... Okay, fill in the blank. Then, then who are you? Your identity should be found primarily in the reality of God is your father. I remember in my family, if I got a splinter, mom didn't take the splinter out. Because you know how moms take splinters out? Oh, did I hurt you? You know how dad took my splinter out? Shut up, kid. <laughs> Sit down here. Give me that finger. And so, I mean, the quandary we always had was, how bad is this splinter? <laughs> I maybe could live the rest of my life with that splinter. Or maybe I go to dad and he gets it out. And now I've got old enough, I'm old enough now to realize that my dad, in a little bit different way than my mom, showed incredible love to me because he cared for my good. You've got a father who is, at, and some of the characteristics of God as father are also characteristics of God as mother. There's times when God the father has like wings like a hen and brings us up and ushers us into his love and his care. I am so glad as an exile that I am genetically, spiritually genetically related to the God of the universe. He's my dad. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you don't know God as your father, I am so glad you're here. This is a room full of bunch of exiles. I mean, we got our Eddie Bauer bags when we go out of here, and some have, I mean, some have some horrific, exilic living that you're in the middle of. And some maybe not so much so. We're marching to Zion, and maybe you're not marching to Zion, and I, here's a really cool thing. Exiles can say to you this, and that is that Jesus wants to be your dad. Or excuse me, God wants to be your dad. He, want, he wants to be your father. And if you trust in Jesus, and if you say, my life is yours here, that, that you can experience the joy in exile. Yeah, it's in exile, but it's exile that has as your dad God himself. And I cannot think of a more glorious message than that. I can't. It's like the most delightful message. As a matter of fact, the church ought to be this. We ought to be a church that's like the delivery room. <laughs> I mean, God's the conceiver. He's the one that gives life. But then the church, we ought to be on a regular basis, and we're praying that even as a community of faith, we become much more intentional in evangelism. Because evangelism is this. We're bringing more, more people to Jesus, to God, to say, God, birth them, birth them. Come on, man, we can't wait to see the next baby. Who's going to be the next one that's going to be born? Let's, 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 we're marching to Zion, and we want to be bringing people along and saying, God, you can birth them. We're going to bring them into your into your into your presence so that you can do that work of regeneration in their hearts, which is really, really cool. You know, in a church like ours, 
Here's, if we believe God is our Father of those of us that are redeemed, there ought to be a sense of unity. And I've been in College Park for a long time, and one of the things I've appreciated about College Park is generally we're a unified church. We don't usually have splinter groups. And I'm going to say, if we don't continually affirm who God is, and if we don't continually affirm that we are all the sons of God, those of us that are believers, we're going to start to fight with each other. Some of you have done that in your marriages. You, you realize you're married to somebody that has the same father as you, right? So look at your spouse and say, your dad and my dad are the same spiritually. Matter of fact, here, kids, I don't know if there's any kids in this service, I like to say this, kids, you ought to marry your sister. You don't have to kiss her, but you ought to marry her. <laughs> and, 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 and boys, you ought to marry your brother. And not physically, that doesn't work. I understand that. But if we're marching to Zion, if we're exiles, we, marry, we intermarry. And as a church, we're saying, we've got one father, so therefore, we may have different skin colors. There's, there's a, some people have different skin color in this service. we got the same dad. <laughs> To which I say, so somehow, whatever it is that seems like it wants to tend to split us apart, it ought to be binding us together. And we've had some really cool discussions and movements going on in that whole area so that we say to the world, you know what, we're a group of exiles. Some of you think we're really strange. We bow our knee. We submit to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the same dad. He's done this in us, and it's amazing. It's amazing how you'll know they're exilic Christians by their love for one another, because their loving Father has allowed them to experience some of the great delights of living as the people of God. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot more things. As a matter of fact, your identity, and we live in a culture that struggles with identity. We want to put little labels on people, <laughs> you know, in terms of sexual preferences, in terms of a whole lot of labels. And the church comes together and says... Well, you know what? We need to hear what the king says. What's his ruling on this subject? All of us are struggling with different sins, different issues, and we need to struggle with those under the ultimate reality of our identity being in Christ. So if you struggle with sin, keep struggling with sin, and struggle with sin starting off by saying, you're God, I'm not, and you're my father, I'm not. Now let's get to work on this sin issue that tends to make me not live like I ought to live as a father. Of, of my, of my as, a, as a son of my father. Yeah. So, if you want to have hope in exile, first of all, who's in charge? Secondly, who are you? Third question is this. This to me is where Christianity jumps off the page. Because you and I have an incredible future. What does the future look like? Yeah. And, and watch how Peter describes it. In verse 4, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercies, caused us to be begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's where it's all going, to an inheritance. To an inheritance. <laughs> In my bag here, I've got my last will and testament. Being of sound mind, I don't, I don't have time to read it. And then, I, actually, I bequeath. Isn't that the right word? I think some word like that. That if I die... The really weird thing about that is it's my last will and testament. I've got to die for it to happen. If I die, then Kathy gets it all. She gets all my jewelry, it says. I'm like, you can have it all. The, the thing that I am impressed with, she gets all my books, too. I think, wow, that, there you go. That's, that's significant inheritance stuff. Well, 
If you're a believer, the Father says, I've got an inheritance for you. And he describes it. There's at least a fourfold description to it that is really cool. First of all, there's three words that are used. It's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I think another way, and somebody mentioned it, it's eternal. It's imperishable. It doesn't decay. It's not like, this has happened to us a couple times, we've had mice, we've had a mouse in our house, that rhymes. And the, this, some of these mice, they come and they, I don't know what they're doing, but they fall down between, you know, the drywall where you have the, and they can't get out and they die. That doesn't bother me that much. I'm okay with mice dying. What bothers me is they stink like crazy. And then my wife says, go get that mouse. So I'm putting holes and then I'm getting this stinky dead. You know what? Your inheritance doesn't decay like the mouse between my walls. Yeah, your inheritance is not defiled. It's not stained. It isn't like that piece of bread that falls underneath the refrigerator and turns green and you look at it and you say, I'm not eating that. I don't even want to touch. It's not like that. It's not fading. It isn't something like, this used to be my MO. I'd get a shirt that I really liked and I'd never wear it. You know why? Because it's going to wear out. And I don't want it to wear out, so I don't wear it. And then you're like, okay, that, that, that doesn't. So now I've started wearing them and they wear out. And forever, your inheritance is never going to wear out. It's going to be unfading. It's eternal. Secondly, it's kept in heaven for you. It's better than the best bank account. I, I keep my will... I, so I went to the safe store, Walmart, and I got, I got this box that supposedly if the house you know, blows up and 10,000 million billion dynamite, whatever, blows it up, it's still going to be okay. Which, you know what, I'm not so sure that it is, but I am sure of this, that my inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And then the third thing is, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. That God not only has a handle on your inheritance, but he has a handle on you. I mean, it's by his power. He's going to guard you through faith. I, I, I googled, this is a bit sadistic, but I googled those who won the lottery and died before they got it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a bummer? I mean... Your own conscience feels a little bit bad. I'm not sure if I should have done the lottery or not, but I did win it. So after I tithed to the church and, you know, buy a new house for my mom or whatever, and, and then you die. You don't make it. And, and the beauty of this twofold guarding is the inheritance is guarded and you're guarded. And there are times when I want to say, I don't deserve to be guarded, Lord. And that's when I say, but you're the God of mercy. Man, am I glad you're a God of mercy. Man, am I glad you're my father. <laughs> and then it goes on at the end, and it says this. It's for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. And that's kind of a good and bad verse. I mean, portion. You've got an inheritance. The day's going to come when it's going to be realized. And for some, it seems like it will never, ever come. In the book of Revelation, there's a group of people that sit underneath the throne, and here's what they say. Oh, Lord, how long? Some of you have cried that, and understandably so, here's hope. Hope is, it may feel long, but the fact is there's going to come a day when it's over. There's going to come a day when God himself will descend from heaven, and he's going to make all wrong right. His kingdom will be consummated. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign 
forever and ever. I wish I could sing. <clears throat> and, and you know what? Here's what gives you hope. What gives you hope is an incredibly glorious, unbelievable inheritance. And church, we should accept that as being one of the really great glories of being in exile in the kingdom of God because we have the best waiting for us. The challenge is the wait, isn't it? Now, I ask myself this question, and this I say in closing. You know what that means. What's the inheritance? So Kathy gets all my jewelry. <laughs> that's, that's not even worth me dying for. <laughs> and then, then if she dies less than 30 days before me, the kids get all my jewelry. <laughs> they don't even like our furniture. I, I'm sure they're not going to be all that great with the jewelry. What is the inheritance? So maybe the inheritance, maybe the inheritance is streets of gold. Huh? Can't wait to walk on a street of gold. Maybe it's like the biggest house you can possibly imagine. Maybe it's the freedom from all pain and suffering. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's all those things. And on some level, it probably is. But there's a much bigger level of what the inheritance is. And this is going to be like next week, but I'm going to cheat and go ahead a little bit. Look at verse 8. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's what the ultimate inheritance is for the people of God, and that is they inherit Jesus. And I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but that might not be enough, but I'm here to tell you that's more than enough. Because in Jesus is that fullness of life. It, it, there, there are three songs in my life that really, that as I was thinking about this sermon one, I remember when I was a kid, I think I was in high school, and I was sort of like a high school kid, you know, and I, I went to church, and I remember there was this group from Wisconsin called Shepherd's Home, and they, they helped kids with handicaps, uh, mental handicaps, and there was a Down Syndrome kid, and I remember him singing a song that I still remember to this day, and it's the song, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ. And it's an old, I don't think we sing it anymore, but I remember the face of that kid who had much more struggles in life than I did, and he's saying, it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. It is. I remember when my mom died, 2003, and I remember the doctor, a neurologist, said she's got an incurable brain disease and she's maybe got two weeks to live. And that wasn't what I wanted to hear, but I'm the oldest son, so I get to tell my mom. It was probably the hardest thing I ever remember doing in my life, and I went into that hospital room, and I think God was gracious. In the first service, my sister happens to be visiting today. My brother were there, so I choked up in the first service, <clears throat> which I do better in this one. And I went in there, and I'm glad I didn't say, hey, Mom, you're going to die. Here's what I said, and it was totally God. It wasn't me. I said, Mom, you're going to see Jesus really soon. <laughs> and... I remember she choked up just a little bit. And so as a son, it's like, I want to embrace her. I want her to see Jesus. And she choked up just a little bit. And then I don't remember her crying again for the next, I think she lived for about a week and a half. And she went to see Jesus. Paul would say, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that was what her delight was, because that was her inheritance. And then just recently, I have a, I have a three-year-old grandson whose name is Joseph. And my daughter sent me 
a video of him singing in his car seat, kicking his legs, you know, a song that she must have played quite a bit. Um, and and it, it was this song. It was, so I'm going to try to imitate a three-year-old. I'm going to massacre it. Bless the Lord. You know, you can't get the R's. Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. <laughs> Which you laugh. I cried when I heard him singing it. It's this little three-year-old exile who doesn't know what a soul is. He doesn't know what O is. I don't either. <laughs> Bless the Lord. But I do know this. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And a little exile, you bless the Lord. And older exiles, you bless the Lord. Because he's your father. And because he's got this incredible inheritance for us. And so, people of God, we've got to join together in unity and say, that's who's in charge. That's what he's done for me. That's what I got to look forward to. And let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the church of your redeemed, blood-bought children. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, draw them into your kingdom. And for those that are struggling with the horrors of exile, be merciful to them, Lord, I would pray today. And may we be your church. And then our prayer, Lord, would become quickly Lord Jesus. And we pray all of that in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.